So a kingdom worldview, what is a kingdom worldview? That's what we're going to be looking at for coming weeks, maybe months, I don't know. Um, unfortunately, a kingdom worldview usually stands in stark opposition to a worldly worldview. So when you start going down this path, you're automatically going to be encountering conflict, right? If there's a kingdom of light there's in the, the, and there's a kingdom of darkness, when the two come together, they don't play well together. But the good news is, is that when light is shined, darkness has to flee. But too often, the kingdom of darkness has convinced the light to hide itself under a basket called a church building. But this, this cosmic conflict, I mean, this, if you look at the, the world today, if you watch the news and media and all these things, this cosmic conflict is, is continuing to wage. I mean, it's the spirit of Antichrist being revealed in the earth. And there's been times in history when it's been great, and then the church rises up and it becomes weakened. And, but we, I, I truly believe that we live in a time when the spirit of Antichrist is raising its nasty head once again. Because John said that even in his time, the Antichrist, this, that spirit of Antichrist was in the earth. So even in the very beginning, at the very birth of the church, we see over and over how the kingdom, God's kingdom, turned the world system the kingdom of darkness, upside down. In Acts chapter 17, verse 2, verse 4, Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned. What did we talk about last week? God's way is reasonable. He says, come, let us reason together. We're going to talk about this more next week. But Paul went in and reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Dead. He, he not only explained it, but he demonstrated it. How, how did he demonstrate it? By unusual signs and wonders, the Bible says. Man, I, I, some of the stuff you read that the Apostle Paul did, and then you read that he did unusual signs and wonders. What are, what's an unusual miracle? I think all miracles seem unusual. Maybe, maybe miracles were so common that you could tell the difference between an unusual one and just, oh, that's just a common miracle. I don't know. But he demonstrated it. See, it's, not, it's just not the knowledge. It's just not the reason. It's evidence shown in power that Jesus is alive. So he, he, he's explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few leading women joined Paul and Silas. This, this Jesus whom I preach is the Christ. Do you remember what that means? He's the anointed king, right? Jesus Christ. 
Christ means Messiah, means the anointed one. He's the anointed king. He's the, he's the anointed prophet. He's the anointed priest. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason. Look at that. This is nothing new. When people reject Jesus, they gather around them evil people and create an uproar. They set the whole city. Sounds like a riot. Sounds like Antifa. They reject that Jesus is the king. And they set this mob. They gathered a mob. They set all the city as an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they're talking about Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here also, or come here too. You got to watch who you hang around. Because they're going to be coming for you just as much as they're coming for me. Verse 7, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary. They're acting contrary. Why? They're acting contrary to something. They're acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, because Caesar is Lord. Saying there is another king, Jesus. Is that the gospel that you have been taught? That Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king of all. See, the gospel is the good news of a king and his kingdom. It's the gospel of the king and the kingdom. And as citizens, children of the king, not only are we to adjust our worldview to match God's, but it is our mandate to proclaim and transform the world through the power of this truth. Look at what Isaiah prophesied. In Isaiah chapter um, 61, verse 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the, of, of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and, he shall walk, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, He shall, shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. So who is Zion in, in this prophecy? Who is Zion and who is Jerusalem? It's talking about this is happening in the last days. Not the end of days. 
or not when days are ended, but in the last days. In the last days, this is supposed to be happening. See, a lot of people say that this is in the millennial reign of, of Christ. Well, then that means that the, the days of, of the church age is over. This is saying, in the last days, these things shall come to pass. So who is Zion in Jerusalem in the last days? In, in, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 24, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are re registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So who is this new, who, who is Zion? Who is this new Jerusalem in the end of days? In Hebrews it's saying that it's the church. The general assembly of the, in the church of the firstborn is the Mount Zion in the heavenly Jerusalem. See, this is, not, this is talking about people, not buildings. A city is made up of people. God wants people, and nations are made up of people. And when will this happen? It will happen in the last days. What days are we living in? Amen. When did the last days begin? On the day of Pentecost. Peter said, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So, so what day are we living in? Joel said, Peter was repeating a prophecy of Joel, that when God pours his spirit upon all flesh, that is evidence that we are in the last days. So on the day of Pentecost, when God poured his flesh or his spirit upon all flesh, we began the last days. We are in the last days. So we are living in the days that they prophesied about. Isaiah says that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be put above all the high places, the, the, the mountains, the, the hills of, of the world. See, you need, to get, you need to get this teaching that we did a couple, about a year ago. It was entitled, Working Together, Building the Kingdom. Because in that, we show how these high places are the places of influence in the world. It's free. Get it. Write, it. write it down. We'll have them make it for you. Go online. Find it. Our website. But in this teaching, we show that how these high places are the places of influence in the world. And it's saying that in the last days, um, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be put above all the high places in the world, and people will stream to it, to learn his ways. See, Isaiah says that in the last days, the ways of the Lord will have the dominion, dominant influence 
in the nations of the earth. He's waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because that is who the church is called to disciple. Nations. We are called to disciple nations. We are called to disciple nations. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Therefore what? Because he has all authority now. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And what Jesus judges when he comes back is interesting also. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. There are sheep nations and goat nations in the earth. The church is called the disciple nations. We are called to take goat nations and make them sheep nations. Jesus will divide the sheep nations from the goats. The church is called to disciple nations, and this is having a kingdom worldview. This is why it's so important to have a kingdom worldview. How will we be able to disciple nations if we ourselves do not have the knowledge of what God's kingdom is? And I know that you're sitting here in this small town of Vassar, Michigan, and you're thinking, disciple nations, Chad, what are you talking about? How, this, is so, this is so huge. I mean, how do we even wrap our heads around discipling a nation? And, and it, it does sound like a big task. And how do we disciple nations? Well, you know, it starts in your own family. It starts in your own family by teaching and guiding them in the ways of Jesus. And then it's believers getting involved with our schools and local government. It's building businesses with a bigger vision than just profits. There's nothing wrong with profits. But God has such a bigger vision for businesses than just profits. And if you do things God's way, you profit. Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, we can name some others. Some guys with big beards that make a goofy duck call. We could, the list could go on and on. But because, I'm getting ahead of myself, but because we don't think that our faith has anything to do with business, we lose the, his blessing on our business life. God wants to change the world through your business, through business. 
It's bringing the creativity of God into our arts and our entertainment and demanding and delivering truth in our media. It's the church proclaiming the kingdom and doing their parts as individuals, making the whole body of Christ. It's individuals working together, representing the whole body of Christ within the earth. It's understanding that Jesus' main objective was not to get people into heaven, but to get heaven into people. At Caris NTC, we have a mission, and our mission is to proclaim and expand the kingdom through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our mission. Our mission is to expand the ways of Jesus within the earth. Our, our mission is to have influence in the earth, transforming culture and structures in this earth. And our method our method to achieve our mission is activating the church. That's your part. It's activating the church in the grace and faith of Christ to take your vocation, take their vocation to their location, affecting the situation for the kingdom of God. See, there, there are different spheres of cultural influence within the earth and there's been there's seven that that we pull out you probably could add another one if you want to say the the health industry now and science science and health right how about some believer get out up there and eradicate cancer why not why are we waiting for the world to do it But these spheres of influence in the earth is religion. And religion, I mean, the, and inst, the institution of the church. And then you have the family. I'm telling you, as you go through this list, you can see how every single one of these are under attack by the kingdom of darkness. The destruction of the family. I'm not, not prepared to talk about this right now. But there, was a, there, there, there truly was a systematic plan to cause inner city people to become dependent on the government rather than have a family structure and unit. It's demonic. Businesses. Government. <laughs> education. Media. And celebration, which is the arts and entertainment sports industries. All of them have become bullhorns for cultural change and revolution. I heard a quote, and I think it's very true of our time and our day. The quote is, religion has become privately meaningful, and publicly irrelevant. Did you get that? 
Religion has become privately meaningful and publicly irrelevant. We have compartmentalized our lives. The message of the church has been bring people to church rather than bring the church to people. Compartmentalization leads to a hypocritical life. We act one way on Sunday and then we think we have to act like the world to succeed the other six days of the week. Most believers don't let their spiritual life flow into their business life. After all, right, we live in a dog-eat-dog world, right? Sweet little Jesus has nothing to do with business transactions, does he? There's no room for Jesus. Because if we don't check our faith at the door, our faith might keep us from succeeding in business. We justify this by saying, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? We make excuses for excluding our faith because we need to provide for our family. And Jesus will get in the way of a successful career, even though he has promised, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. We are told that Jesus has no place in our schools, so we let them teach our children about sex. We, we let boys and girls go into whatever bathroom they choose, and then we pay for universities that spend more time indoctrinating our kids and trying to convince them that there is no God than actually educating them. And we do it all for a mere... 60, 100 grand a year. We pay them to do this. One in four students that go to college, go to university as believers, are no longer believers when they graduate. And we paid for them to do that. We paid them to persuade them to walk away from Jesus. We have believed the lie that the separation of church and state is in the Constitution. It's nowhere in the Constitution. Even, and, and, we, and we fail to forget, and they, and they erase it from our history, that, that these kingdom pre principles are what founded this nation. Go study the, the first great awakening. America is here today because of a revival within the church. Even though God shows up in our Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We were a nation that was birthed out of the first great awakening and biblical principles. And we're going to look at these in the coming weeks. Again, we are told our faith should not show up in our entertainment. After all, God is the universal party pooper, right? That's God's job. God's job is to wreck all of our fun. He's, he's to steal all of our happiness, right? 
We forget that the authors of some of the greatest literature, art, music, credited God Almighty as inspiration for the greatest masterpieces that the world has ever known. Even our stories are the same ones being told over and over again. A story of a relationship that that flourishes. Then a relationship is lost because of outside evil forces. Then a hero seeks to save and rescue the damsel in distress. He's even willing to lay down his life for his love. That's about every single movie you could ever watch. They're telling that story in some fashion. And the reason why they are telling that same story over and over and over again, because deep down inside of humanity's hearts, they're crying out to regain that relationship with God again. The world in the kingdom of darkness loves the compartmentalized spirituality. God and the four walls of the church building. Keep them there and everything's fine. Until they control everything else, then they'll come for the church building. Keep Jesus in the four walls and you'll be all right. That's all right. But don't let them get out of these four walls. You know, make a good chicken sandwich. Make a good chicken, chicken sandwich, but don't bring biblical pen, principles into it. How dare you not be open on Sunday and remind me that there is a God? You know, give, give me great, great, affordable home decor. What, a retail store that pay, that the opening wage is $15.70 for full-time employees? And they gave health benefits before government made them, made business owners give health benefits? But wait a minute, they're closed on Sundays too. And... You mean you won't pay for all forms of birth control? You know, who cares if, the, if birth control is actually a form of, abor- of abortion? How dare you not give me that freedom? How dare you place your morality on me? Where does morality come from? We're going to be talking about that. You can't have morality without God. It's don't let anybody say, I'm, I'm getting all over. Don't let anybody say to you, don't put your morality on me. It's not your morality. Tell them it's not my morality. This isn't something that I made up. This is God's morality. There are things in God's morality that sometimes I don't really like because right now I'd like to punch you in the nose. It's not our morality. It's God's morality, and we all fall short. And that's what's so good about this, this 
good news of the kingdom is that even when you fall short, God is there to train. He's to lift you back up. Just like children. He's there to forgive you, not vanquish you. You kneel before the game to pray. And they say, just play football. Just play football. Your faith has no place on the field. The kingdom of darkness demands that faith be hidden in sports and entertainment. But kneel to protest America and law enforcement and wear socks that have pigs dressed like cops and the world celebrates you and says this is a perfect place to demonstrate and protest. Make, duck, make great duck calls. Create a beard frenzy. But don't be praying, especially in the name of Jesus. Have an awesome home improvement show, but don't be talking about Jesus. The world loves to compartmentalize spirituality. They want you to leave Jesus in the church and do not affect our culture with it because they're afraid. They're afraid. The kingdom of darkness is terrified. I mean, are you getting the point? The kingdom of this world will use everything it can to get you to compartmentalize Jesus into, that, that, into this building on Sunday. The devil knows. The devil knows that if Christians start taking the principles of the kingdom of God into the spheres that make up life's experience, the deception of his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness will not stand a chance. Look at this messianic mandate. In Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has set me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's what Jesus came to do. But what's our part? We're going to see that in just a second. He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's what he came to do with you. You are trees of righteousness that God might be glorified, planted. Where are you planted? Right here in this earth. And here, here are we. And they. Who's they? Who's the, who's the they they're talking about? And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall rise up from the former desolation. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Who are they? The ones that were captives, the ones that were brokenhearted, the ones that were poor, those that are now set free, those that have been healed, those that are rich in the good news of the kingdom. 
the very one that God, God, those are the very one that God has called to rebuild the devastation of the world. We're supposed to be rebuilding the world from the devastation of sin and the kingdom of darkness. That's what the church is called to. You have been called to rebuild families, communities, and nations. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the, me- to the measure of the, f- of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by- with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. If you understood what the kingdom of darkness is up to in this, in this day and age, this Describes it very accurately. Cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting trickery of men. Those that God has called to the sphere of the mountain of the church have been given the task of training and equipping the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. See, for too long the church, the church has has. Because of insecure pastors and, and insecure ch- leaders, we, we've tried to make the church dependent on the pastor for the work of all the ministry. And that's not how God planned it. God planned it that the leaders of the church would be constantly equipping, building up, edifying the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. This training is to equip the saints not only in the in vertical spiritual realities of the kingdom, but also how that spirituality in the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, translates and manifests into our horizontal physical realities. You understand that? Because we need to fill pulpits. We need to fill pulpits. There are millions and millions of pulpits within this world that are empty. But the empty pulpits are not what you are thinking. For far too long, the church has deemed that some things are spiritual and others are secular. Or at least some things are more spiritual than other things. Now, understand, you can do things completely carnal and through a darkened lens of the fallen world, but that is not who we are. We are children of the light, and we see everything through the lens of the kingdom realities in Christ Jesus. See, a pastor preaching a message on Sunday in front of 10 or 10,000 people is no, no more spiritual than a mother praying, caring, and teaching her newborn baby in the grace 
of Christ. Someone that is called to plant a church, start a church, is no more spiritual, has no more calling of God on their life than a Christian that has a plan to start a business to radically change the world. See, we compartmentalize things. We think certain things have more value in the kingdom of God than others. What I'm doing right now has no more value than a believer in the entertainment industry, than an artist being creative for the glory of God, than a politician trying to bring freedom and keep liberty for its citizens, than than a mother and a father raising a family, than a business owner that is looking to provide value to to people and hopefully be able to provide incomes for people and bless them. See, a business owner that, that is building a better world through godly commerce or a, a government official that is protecting its citizens and their God-given rights and freedoms. See, we have empty pulpits, but it's not the pulpits in the church that are empty. It's the pulpit in our schools. It's the pulpits in our businesses. It's the pulpits in our families. As a matter of fact, one of the scriptural requirements for a leader and a pastor in a church is to be able to lead his or her own family well. For if a man does not know how to lead his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? It's in the pulpits of media. It's in the pulpits of the arts, entertainment, and sports. And how many know that we need to get as many that are called into the pulpits of our government? I went to talk to the um, school superintendent. Had a meeting with with her about... uh, what I was told that the, that they allow kids to go to into every any bathroom that they they want they have to they have and and she says this is not a school choice this is our state's choice it's the law of our state because what the state did is they adopted the the law that the federal government. put into place under President Obama. So the school's hands are tied. And and she explained to me that if a student wants to go into any bathroom, they can't flip-flop, they can't go in. Once they make a choice, they have to keep with that choice. And she says that there are other restroom facilities that are single-unit Room, so if a student is uncomfortable with this, they can use that restroom. Even if it's far, farther away from the classroom they are in, they can tell the teacher and they can go down and use that restroom. See, I, I, 
I, I think that the student should line up at that single-use restroom. You get 500 students waiting in line all day long to use the restroom, and the school is going to make some new decisions real quick. Students that are in here this morning, those schools are just as much of yours as anybody's. And you have just as much right to voice your morals as anyone else. Don't be afraid. And you have a, you have a church here that will stand behind you. God is passionate. God is passionate about all those areas of life. He's passionate about all those areas of life as much as he is about religious institutions. That is why he has set those to train and equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry, to take his ways into all the earth. Can I have the worship team come up? See, in the, in the next two weeks, um, this is what we're going to be looking at. And, 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 and I guess we're going to, it's fifth Sunday next week, so we're going to have Pastor Tom preaching next week, which is awesome. And then we're going, we're going to pick up, and we're going, we're going to be looking at what did Jesus mean when he said he would build this church, he would build his church, excuse me, he would build his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. What did Jesus mean when he said that? In closing, I want to read to you an essay that I came across that I read. And I want you to think about it as we think about the mandate of, of, of the kingdom of God that we have upon us. In 1973, the Supreme Court said it was okay to kill unborn babies. Since then, we have killed more than the entire population of Canada. And it continues. A woman's choice? Half of all those who have died in their mother's, in their mother's wombs have been women. women. They didn't have a choice. It's called abortion. Me? I go to church. The minister preaches. I go home. That's what Christians do now. First, it was in dingy, dirty theaters, then convenience stores, then grocery stores, then on television. Now it's in the homes of millions via the Internet. It's called pornography. Me? I go to church. The minister preaches. I go home. That's what Christians do now. They call it no fault. Why should we blame anyone when something so tragic happens? Haven't they already suffered enough? Half of marriages in America end this way. The children suffer, the family suffers, and the family breaks down. It's called divorce. Me, I go to church, the minister preaches, I go home. That's what Christians do now. At one time, it was a perversion. We kept it secret. We, we, we secured help and hope for those who practiced it. Now it is praised. We have parades celebrating it and elected, elected officials giving it their blessing. Now it, it is in, endowed with special privileges and protected by special laws. Even some Christian leaders and denominations praise it. 
It's called homosexuality. Me, I go to church. The minister preaches, I go home. That's what Christians do now. It used to be an embarrassment, a shame. Now, a third of all births are to mothers who aren't married. Two-thirds of all African-American children are born into a home without a father. The state usually pays the tab. That is why we pay our taxes, so that the government can be, take the place of parents. After all, government bureaucrats know much more how to raise the children than, than parents do. It's called illegitimacy. Me, I go to church. The minister preaches. I go home. That's what Christians do now. At one time it was wrong, but then the state decided to legalize it, promote it, and tax it. It has ripped apart families and destroyed lives, but just look at all the money the state has raised. No longer do we have to teach our children to study and work hard. We, now we can teach them that they can get something for nothing. We spend millions encouraging people to join the fun and excitement. Just look at the big sums that people are winning. They will never have to work again. It's called gambling. Me, I go to church, the minister preaches, I go home. That's what Christians do now. Not long ago, Christians were the good guys. Now any positive image of Christians in movies or TV is gone. We are now depicted as the bad guys, greedy, narrow-minded hypocrites. The teacher can't have her Bible on her desk, but she can have Playboy. We don't have Christmas and Easter holidays, just winter and spring breaks. We can't pray in school, but we can use foul language. It's called being tolerant. Me, I go to church, the minister preaches. I go home, that's what Christians do now. Yes, all these things came to pass within 30 years. Where were the Christians? Why? They were in the church. All these things were for someone else to deal with. Times have changed. Involvement has been replaced with apathy. But don't blame me. I didn't do anything. I go to church. The minister preaches. I go home. That's what Christians do now. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.